destroying the entire universe. Welcome to Radio Free Deimos, an Ixundraconis fan podcast broadcasting from a post-Deimos orbit on Object 17, Voltaire Station. With me this week is Wines and Whitey, and I'm Corbo. Hello. Hello. So this week is not episode 50, that was last week, but we were going to do year 100 as a topic for episode 50, so we're doing it for episode 51. So there. <laughs> it's close enough to 50. I think so. Uh, so this is going to be kind of focused on building a historical campaign, things to lead up to that, some pseudo-history of the years prior to, and then we'll see where it goes. But before we start, I'd like to ask my hosts a very important question. Since the good apocalyptic time period, uh, what is the doom that's going to befall civilization this century? So many text messages that the internet completely becomes clogged with them and all life support systems fail. Transcendently mutated hedgehogs. That's another possibility. I don't even know. There's so much. Pick your favorite doom, sir. I... <sighs> no, they're all so lovely. I can't even pick one. There's so much. Civilization <laughs> killed by indecision. Yeah. I mean, it totally could be. It's just everyone suddenly freezes. No one can make a firm decision regardless of the severity or how minor. I think this is how Mars code just exists on a day-to-day -day basis. It could be. Self-driving cars run over the entire population. <laughs> I mean, it could be that no one makes, uh, there is no decision made so that no one questions safety. So when it says turn left, you actually turn left, regardless of the off-the-cliff status yeah, yeah. of this left turn. In a self-driving car apocalypse, only the micros would be safe because they could go between the wheels. True, true. That Unless is true. we have self-driving tiny cars to kill them. Well, they, they need cars too. They do. True. Would you put them in your glove compartment? would <laughs> <laughs> be so cute. So stupid. Oh, don't ask me any questions. I'm just a hard hand just like you. Questions and opinions, because we really don't have answers here, just more opinions. We have a question from last week's guest host, Plushy, who asks us the very serious and deserving a very serious conversation and discussion question. Uh, what about bathrooms in Seoul? Hmm. Specifically, I suspect this is regarding morphisms, because... I assume that bathrooms in Seoul generally follow the, like, talking Japanese toilet model, where you get, like, 75 different features and, and special effects and, like, uh -huh. conversations and things like that. What, what flavor water you want squirted on you? For some laterals, that might be squirted on you, I say. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a pretty interesting question, considering uh, bathrooms are the source of most follies in spy movies. So, Really? I can't think of a James Bond movie that hasn't ended up in a bathroom at some point in time. I just don't watch enough James Bond. That is true. You, you've seen them and you just block them out. No, I don't think I've seen them. You, you do. You've seen them with me. Sir, I'm an English major. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so um, I guess we should probably look at this in terms of who it's going to affect most. I think laterals probably have an easy out for this one. Pun. Do they? An easy out. I... Because they can go out the back door and... 
No? It, I was thinking it might end up being more like uh, what you find in India, where it's kind of just a hole, or India, and I forget where else in Asia, but basically a hole in the ground you can squat over. Yeah, that's probably the easy solution. I suspect ASR has some sort of weird levitating contraption to assist you here. I don't know. Transcendent technology? Oh, God. What was the thing J.K. Rowling had? Wizards just disappear to where? <laughs> we do know tech is getting good enough that it could just yes, be disappeared away. What happens when you squinch your large bowel? I don't know. That would suck. <laughs> so I feel like for laterals and tars, we're going to be dealing with the like pit slot situation yeah. there. Um, for micros, I think they just have to be very well balanced. Very small. <laughs> yeah, and you know, don't have like a big brother to shove them in. Right? Oh, that'll be unfortunate. Or <laughs> Zootopia as she slides in. You're dead, buddy. But some of the more uh, slant, slant posture, that's a... Uh, because you really would have trouble with the slot in the floor if you're kind of like weirdly slanted forward. I would just get really good at aiming. can crouch. Okay, oh, that's true. Very predatory. Or even look. sit. Maybe. Stay. They do have to lay down at some point in time, so I could assume they would... I assume that slant posture uh, vectors just sleep standing up. Uh, that's a fair assumption. Hmm. Well, here's a question. Is Can you wipe with a push frame? Uh, unless it's over five pounds. <laughs> I mean, it is you're doing it wrong. There wasn't any you could do it within a certain distance away from... I think it was your body when you were wearing it, or was it the thing it's... Or was it I your don't hands? remember. What are we doing with it, too? I mean, never mind. I don't want to know. There's incredibly limited range on the push frame. Is the range from your head, from the device? Is it from any part of your body? Yeah, I that was the like question. I feel like it's got to be, like, most of your body. So you can extend your push field from the tip of your tail? Let's, for this exercise, say yes. <laughs> okay. But then we got some of the more obscure morphisms. I don't really see any serious problems with bioluminescence. It kind of irritate the guy in the stall next to you. Now, flow form tentacles. Can you flush yourself? I don't know. If we assume that it's uh, basically the same ability of an octopus, probably. I'm going to disagree with you, because flow form technology has to reprogram based on the chemicals that it's being used to telekinesis. That's fair. Oh, so they can automatically filter themselves out from the well, water Water they don't want to keep? There's a, uh, actually, there's a new item in 2.0. It's the flow form push frame. Is push frame the right word? Yeah. Body sock. Um, Body sock, okay. So it's basically like this like aquatic fishbowl that carries you around, and it filters your water. Oh, um, so you can travel in your own sports bottle? Yes. Pulse. <laughs> um... Let's hope it's not in a sports bottle. You might have some thirsty athlete trying to drink right. you. Right. Then you can be dumped on the winning team at the end of the game. Ah. How about a restroom specifically designed for the morphism followed? Oh. Don't look in the mirror. Don't look in the mirror. Do not. Do Don't not. Do not. You know, like you find in clubs with black lights to kind of hide your veins, they might have uh, the opposite where it's just all of the light to hide your shadow. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it'd be the brightest bathroom ever. Hmm. But when you sit down... I mean, you have to assume there's radiance coming from underneath yes. as well. Okay, because otherwise, that's just distressing. I, yeah. Well, does there have to be a shadow toilet at some point? Um, it'd be like at a parallel a parallel restroom and a transcendent restroom. And then for the lateral reptiles, we might consider like having some sun lamps in there too, because restroom is not just about the privy. Well, but you're not supposed to stay there. You're not supposed to go into the restroom and lounge. Wait, reptiles waste a lot of time. They like have this hour-long ritual every day, and maybe that's when they do it. In the restroom? It could be. There's, there's only so much space in there. I, they could, we could have like a nice lounge. Like if you're out on a ship, sometimes that might be the only reprieve well, for sure, in a lounge, else. but not in the bathroom. You so, know our, our friend Balson's boyfriend, who had spent like an hour and a half in there every day? Uh-huh. He could be a reptile. He could be. 
Okay, true, true. Ooh, yeah. Anyway, I think we've beaten this question to death. <laughs> Thank you, Plushy. It has taken you centuries to even grasp what we developed eons of your years ago. We had our first guest post last week on the Radio Free Demos fan content pages. Uh-huh. Uh, Navy Mongos wrote an article for Easter slash Good Friday. It's uh, called A Cry in the Wilderness about space Catholics. Space hmm. Catholics. Space Catholics. I thought it was really exciting. <clears throat> Two, a year and a half ago, I wrote an article about religion and HSD, and he kind of took it further and deeper and discussed how you might have a Catholic church in Seoul 700, what that might look like. Basically, it would only take a single bishop escaping the Holocaust to create a new infestation. That's not actually a far cry, uh, considering uh, spiritual wellness is one of the things that we are currently dealing with, like kind of in real life, with how to deal with the uh, like the mental health of everyone else. And if someone is religious, then having someone there to lead a religion is not a terrible idea. Well, that's an interesting point, because one of the known problems in Seoul, um, at least Seoul 700, 650, is there really isn't a mental health <coughs> industry to speak of. Yeah. Uh, they medicate problems until they go away, or just hope they go away. But that's a, a valid point, is there really isn't a pastoral side, maybe in progenitus, but besides that, no, not so much. So, yeah, possibly there would be a role for that. If not Catholicism, maybe something else. Uh, this is also spiritual versus religious, and then there's a whole debate on that. Who knows? We might have space Wiccans. Neo-Gardnerians. <laughs> sure, sure. But this article kind of focused more on the Petrine succession, some theological issues, uh, the challenges of dealing with transhumanism when you're fundamentally a very human-focused religion. Uh, it was really well-researched, lots of interesting links. I got to get into St. Christopher Kynocephalus. Uh, Catholicism has historically changed itself to fit the current time, pathos, and ethos. There is nothing stopping the religion from evolving. And when you consider how much the church has changed in 700 years leading up to this moment in time, hmm. which is not, we will, spoiler to our listeners, is not your 700. Um, hmm. And we have several reformations, the church going from the feudal monarchy system to a confused muddle of denominations arguing with each other over coffee. I mean, a lot could change, particularly when the entire context of any sort of organized religion is distorted in the Holocaust. One of the big challenges for questions like, do vectors still have sitcoms? Or how much 80s culture survived in the next, civilization, next century? Is while there's archives of everything, the cultural context has been largely lost. Right. Like, how many in the 20th century, or the 21st century, how many old black and white silent movies does anyone watch, except as a historical oddity? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good comparison point. And, and, or the, the jokes in anime. Ooh, totally lost on me. Right. Yeah, there is a lot of context that goes into all of this. That, But with any major society, there's going to be historians focusing on other societies. So this would kind of be a goldmine for any vector historian who would go through and dig through all of this. And that reminds me, this ties into a major chapter of the events leading up to year 100, in particular, the hemivector emigration period, uh, which I think is around 20. Well, it can't be AE because A hasn't blown up yet. E hasn't blown up yet. So that would be around like negative 10 or so. But there'd be after effects. For clarity... During the period leading up to the Earth Holocaust, there was the initial settlement of Mars, which was humans, and then the mm -hmm. vectors that followed them. But between, let's say, minus 30 AE and 
minus 5 AE, there were several waves of transformed humans, hemivectors, that uh, made the jump. And with them, they brought their culture because that was the first wave that wasn't scientists. It was probably people with a lot of money, but they would have also brought some of their own traditions and things like that. And Seb actually called some of this out in a conversation on the Discord chat when I was asking him about Christmas, which is that people probably did bring their own celebrations from Earth to Mars, but they would have fought a wave of like native lack of tradition at the time. So the hemivectors would have come to a culture that was already fairly entrenched in scientific humanism. This would this would actually be a very interesting thing looking forward past year 100 even is what holidays survived? That might be a question for the future. Well, we talked about that a fair bit in the past. Oh, I, um, I had a holiday episode. It's actually one of the most popular ones we've done. I um, missed that one. Well, <laughs> I think it kind of boils down to most things lost their cultural context and kind of drifted. But there's definitely Christmas. Of course. Uh, Christmas just kind of became a hazy, be good, do good, give things holiday. Not as corporate as you might think. I wonder if Mardi Gras survived. Mardi Gras comes and goes. Mardi Gras is particularly strong when there's a culture that you can fight against. It's a counterculture reversal holiday, uh, an inversion holiday. And those are strong when there's significant cultural oppression. So, yes, you're raising your eyebrows. So there's a lot of that. Yeah. I was sketching out a Mardi Gras style holiday. Uh, I called it Black Friday because a joke or uh, old mascots night. I think something like that. It was a celebration, well, celebration and parody of all of the dead corporate mascots from the centuries hmm. marching Aww. around a big puppet show. And then they fight to the death. That's wonderful. It's like the Macy days parade gone wrong. Yeah. Well, and the winner gets to build next year's Sphinx, which is oh. the one you start with. Brilliant. And then they throw them all into a pit. In uh, old earth, uh, France would have, I think it was like some sort of national celebration. The parades would be led by horribly maimed people from the war. People like missing body oh, parts. Um, I like that. And they'd be celebrating. So I'm just imagining that the the corporate mascots who are now incredibly offensive Mm-mm. or incredibly inappropriate get to lead. Oh, I like that too. Let me maybe write that in. Yeah. Oh, joy. I can only imagine what mascots are going to be coming <laughs> yes. and surviving the times to be paraded around. <laughs> that brief period where people thought owls were a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> D- didn't they advertise lollipops? Tootsie Pops. How many licks does it take to get to the center of the Tootsie Pops? Right before the owl bit off Jimmy's head. And wrote strange cryptic messages in his blood. His white, white blood. Poor Timmy. Moving on. This is the most fantastic story I've ever heard. And every word of it's true, too. Ashtar's not here, so we can't really uh, make fun of him in his absence. But uh, we had a fair, I think, a fairly positive experience with HSD Combat as we started our new 2.0 game. Yeah, YT, yeah. you can't even. Yes, unfortunately. Just, just be quiet. I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> I think I found that it was pleasantly tactical. It carried a lot of the kind of interesting tactical stuff that D&D 4.0 had, where you had some positioning that was important, teamwork that was important. Yeah. Keywords that were a little bewildering at times, but important. Yeah, the, the thing that struck me most as a as a wargamer is in, in almost all systems, you have a mechanic to lock people into close combat. Yeah, you it's can't, called locked in combat. Locked in combat, sure. So you can't just wander in and out of melee combat without consequences. And the, the strange thing here is that the, it only kicks in once somebody's been hit. Yeah, so you can miss, and most of the time that doesn't affect anything. 
Right, right. And and that's interesting. So you could be right next to two people who are fighting. I think I think we had, we had the example of the, the, the snake, the, the, the medical snake in our party wanted to do some life support. What do you call it? So, so do some healing on somebody who's in combat. And of course, my my instant reaction is, no, that's not safe to do in combat. But we realized that the two people she's standing next to, they were fighting each other and ignoring her. So she hadn't been attacked. Therefore, the rules of combat didn't apply to her. And, and maybe this observes that people in a world should understand the rules of how combat works in their world. Right. That that's a good reason why even though your main opponent might be that dude with the sword, you might want to throw a few attacks at the person next to him just to keep them from having the, the ability to pull out a sniper rifle at point blank range and take pot shots at you. You still can't like squeak between two people that are fighting with swords though. There's like a, a rule for like maneuvering tight combat situations. No, I think you can. I mean, the, the, the rule is that w when you enter that two square range, people can take shots at you, hmm. but I don't think anything stops you. And again, until you're hit in combat. Hmm. So it does make combat way more fluid than in most systems. And one needs to get used to that if, if you have that background. So there is no like reaction rule where if someone is moving away from you and is passing the five foot threshold or whatever it is, they can take a reaction well, to it, attack? It, if you've hit someone in combat, then being locked in combat applies. The, those restrictions apply. Oh. However, if you simply, again, let's, let's just say that there's two people fighting and you walk up right next to them, if they ignore you, you're not in combat until they throw an attack at you and hit you. You're not in combat. You can do what, what the heck ever you want. You can pull out your telescope and start taking readings. You, you can do what most games would call support actions. And as long as they keep ignoring you, there's no consequence. And you can leave anytime you like. Like you can shout words of encouragement. Sure. She can, you can shout words of encouragement. I don't know what I think about this. There's the support action of like helping people target their enemies which, okay, th th that works, especially in a, in a high-tech setting where you can have, like, targeting lasers and stuff like that. But as far as we can tell, you could do it in Melee 2. I have a really hard time seeing how, okay, two people are fighting with swords. You tell your friend, hit him with the sword, and you give him a bonus to hit. I, I, I don't know how, what does that look like? It might be the old man yelling, you know, throw a left hook, he's weak to the left kind of thing. Well, old men do that. It just yes. doesn't actually any good. <laughs> in the system, there's actually a benefit to having someone, yeah, hit him upside the face. <laughs> so you don't, if I remember correctly, you don't get a free attack. You get your final bonus attack. attack you get your attack. final bonus attack. Right, right. That's not a word. Well, it's an attack and an action. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> It, it, and I, I could accept it better if it was restricted to other people in melee with you, but someone from range, oh well, I mean, well, I, I can accept it and I can come up with justifications. Maybe you're firing distracting shots while people are sword fighting and so you distract one sword fighter so the other guy can get, a st get in a stab. Okay, sure. It's just, since there's no description of what does this represent, it, it's, it's, it's unusual. I mean, my fallback for anything like this and D&D &D and other campaigns is uh -huh. I will not let you do it unless you can describe your action. Yeah, yeah. It's role play it. This is a role playing game. Right, yeah. If somebody has something that sounds really dumbass, say, okay, describe it, sell it to me, which works better with certain people than with other people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, yeah. Fundamentally, you're trading an action for an action. Yeah. You're, you're target 
may if if he's one of the party's big brawlers probably does have easy access to his third action uh-huh. so it's not a huge trade-up it's like half an action for half an action basically but it's interesting and yeah i think it's going to look like what you needed to look like on that scene it, it, it's just not not what i'm used to um but first time we've played this way there's always assists in other in other games i mean it's just this is the way this one looks Right. Well, the, the, this this system is more more gamist and less simulationist. So just get, get, getting used to that. Yeah, and there's, I think we're going to need some time to like absorb all the keywords because I didn't realize how important locked in combat was in terms of your control over other people. And uh-huh. it's going to be useful to figure that one out. Basically, everybody's a defender now to some yeah, degree. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even in D&D, anyone could lock somebody in close combat. In, in any system, anyone can lock someone in close combat. The, the artillery crew can run up and engage a unit in close combat for the fraction of a second before they get cut to ribbons. But you can do it. The, the, the notion of the, of the damage clock kind of going around that you, you can slowly build up to a wound after multiple turn, turns of damage. Mm-hmm. I, I somehow hadn't picked that up from the rule system. I thought it was kind of like hero system. Until you hit a threshold, you do nothing. But, that, but apparently that's, that's not true. I feel like when you played it the first time, that if it didn't add up to enough damage to do a wound, it didn't do a wound period. And it right. reset. But it's been a while, and that was a, a midnight game when you're both kind of falling asleep at the end. Right. But yeah, it's a it's a good mechanic, I think, in some ways. it's It describes two different types of damage because you have some stuff that bypasses stamina entirely by doing wounds directly uh-huh. and some stuff that you're tough enough to take to a varying degree. I like that one. Yeah. Uh, first impressions, because I can do this because even though I haven't uh-huh. truly taken a group through combat yet, in character creation, I had someone who was very heavily focused on what they could do in combat, uh-huh. and then they got incredibly focused on what they could do pre-combat to the battlefield. Sure. Oh, I don't have yeah. a ton of experience with this, so do you have any thoughts on the pre-combat and the setup with what you can do? Uh, I forget the specific stat on the character sheet, but you could either take initiative or do pre-combat actions. Or, yeah, or, or like put put out things like, like you could, turrets uh, or You could cover. create, uh, I think it was theatrical things. Like if there was uh, oil pipes coming on, you could create an oil spill from the pipes pre-combat, uh-huh. or you could dig holes or create mounds and a variety of other things like that. Okay. There's, I think it's easy to like get bogged down into what does this mean and like... Are your players just able to put down exploding crates all over the place? Uh-huh. And the answer is yes-ish, but the GM is also completely encouraged to throw away nonsense and not put exploding crates in the library or the nursery. Right. <laughs> Maybe in the nursery. Yeah. Coming Pulse! From, <laughs> coming from my background as a, as a war gamer, I kind of twitch, and I, I just feel like, well, the players shouldn't be modifying the battlefield, but yes, they should. And, you know, can you do stupid, illogical things like, yeah, put exploding crates in a nursery? Sure, you could. But also, can your character do completely illogical, stupid things? Yes, they can. But in both cases, it's up to you to make intelligent choices and try to respect the world and come up with things that work with it. So I, I, I want to try to work with that more. Hey. If your character is a swashbuckler and the game does not have any chandeliers, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. And it's right. good to be able to incorporate that. And, and that's fair because the, the, the GM isn't always thinking swashbuckler. Or if your character is a high tech character, you know, 
you're kind of burdening the GM to, okay, you need to write the adventure and make sure there's chandeliers and make sure there's computer terminals and all this stuff. Well, or just no, just say, no, it's, you're the hacker. It's your job to figure out what are logical th- ways in which there might be cons- computer operated stuff. Like, okay, it's a kitchen, but the frying machine has an, a, a robotic battering arm. <laughs> battering. For, for battering. It does battering damage. <laughs> Or the fridge is networked because we need to be able to restock everything and therefore it has access to the home's current <laughs> network and therefore can unlock doors if I poke it correctly. Sure, sure. Right. And so you can kind of distribute the, the notion of, well, what might be in the world? Because, uh, yeah, if you're the swashbuckling character, you should be thinking about how does the world support swashbuckling and you can participate in making the world more swash friendly. One other thing that's not immediately intuitive, and I think a new person would have trouble dealing with this, is the way initiative works. Because initiative feeds into bonus actions, but there's a score, I believe it's readiness, that you can spend to ramp up your attributes. So if you want to be super effective in combat, for some reason you're going to need to invest some points in it, but it pays out. I mean, that's an extra action every other round, basically. Yeah. That's nothing. That's not nothing. I I, I liked that, um, like, you can just freely trade when people go. So in, yeah. in our game at one point, like, yeah, the, the, the snake was mostly staying out of combat just a couple times just said, okay, it's my action. You go first. I don't know what to do, or I have no combat action to take. And so no, okay, reorganize the, the, uh, the initiative chart. It's just like, nope, swap. There you go. Super, super quick. Mm-hmm. That works. We've received messages from their spaceships. For a while, it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise. Okay, so wrapping around to our topic for this episode, which is running your year 100 campaign. Obviously, 100 is a different century than 700, and this game is uh, bases itself heavily on magical technology, a lot of cultural drift and separation of humanity, so you're dealing with a fairly different world where it's not really quite as post-human anymore. There are, in fact, still humans, and definitely human influences uh, so, yeah, very different setting. Uh, this is before a lot of the shadow history is established, as far as we know. Whatever lies Mars Coast spent over 600 years. This is establishing the shadow history. It is, it is. So, yeah, if you're doing a, a uh, skipping around time travel continuity campaign, this would be a very interesting place to build your own rumors and your own corporations, too. There's a lot of potential for starting at this point in time. Yeah, you could shape Mars Co. I don't think so. You can try. You can try. That's, that's so cute that you try. <laughs> These are player characters. Don't underestimate what they can and can't do. So first, I'd like to kind of start with some of the challenges that are unique to year 100 and probably year 70 and 30 as well. But we're round numbering this one here. Um, first off, this is not a post-scarcity environment. This is, in fact, a scarcity environment. Um, not only do we not have uh, the infinite power supply that ASR develops in year 340 or so, but there's limited resources, limited cash. We don't know that bioprinters exist. That's not established yet. Marsco hasn't necessarily made its uh, recycling array of products and services. There's a lot we don't know, but we can assume that this is a time that is does is not very resource rich. Some of that's in canon. There's not a lot of money flowing. The credit is unstable. Later on, we have a massive plague that hits in this time period. So there's a lot of stuff that's just not there that we would normally expect. A lot of the cushions and comforts in life aren't there. Uh, the poor may not have a strong safety net. Uh, this is also kind of the integration of cogs, I believe, into everything. Right. That's a big part of later in the century, like around year 
I think 70 or so. Very, very good point. And there may be some minor race skirmishes and challenges. You might be dealing with first contact type scenarios as uh, people meet these new strange people for the first time. Yeah. And see what's in their heads. They could try. Would they have ha had time to really develop much of species identity? I mean, they're, they're all kind of born together in labs in waves. I don't know. Oh, would this, uh, are all vectors still born in labs at this point in time, or are we seeing the first few generations of natural born vectors? Well, if we're talking about year 100, then yeah. vectors have been around for about 120 years, and okay. we have it in Canada, they got busy fairly early on. Okay. Well, yes. At this point, I don't mm. think any vectors are from labs. Okay. The mice maybe count, but for the most part, people are born like people. I think the labs have been probably smashed. I have a theory that probably Genotype took a lot of that technology with them, like, because no one really knows where the original labs are anymore. The test tubes are gone. That's a lost artifact for you to find in your campaign, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. You find a test tube. Grandpa! <laughs> <laughs> Surveillance? A little less of a thing, probably. We don't know this, but Marsco is probably not as quite as ubiquitous. Oh, it could be a lot like the early telephone era or early computers even where hacking was kind of something that almost anyone could do with a little bit of time and resources. Yeah, you just like press zero twice and you're there. <laughs> yeah, and like party lines are still a thing. But along with surveillance comes social responsibility. And one thing I think we all kind of valued about HST is it's a game that has a lot of repercussions. If you're a murder hobo, you'll get caught. Yes. And in this period, which has some of the early space piracy, I suspect, there's not necessarily that social repercussion. Yet, yeah, in the lore, would IRPF be around at this point in time? No, no. Mars Coast Security Forces probably exists in some Pro form. Protecting Mars Co. Yes, and not that there's anybody else to protect. Yeah, there aren't, it doesn't mean there aren't other people trying. A lot of the tools for corporate oversight do not exist yet. We don't know this, but I rather suspect Mars Coast Bill of Rights Department, I can't remember what it's called, it's not human rights, vector rights maybe, but they've got they've got a basic set of laws they put down in this one department, like don't murder, don't take slaves. Bill of Rights Co. Yeah, Bill of Rights Co. Uh, that may or may not be a thing, so it's possible the kind of the universal quote-unquote laws that IRPF bases themselves on are not established. Spyglass is not there yet, so there's not a lot of oversight in that regard. And Progenitus isn't starting their holy crusades for another 300 years. Yeah, so this could be... You were describing it for your 100 kind of post-apocalyptic. It could be almost any kind of hidden war you want to throw at it. Yeah, I mean, it might be quite lawless or a little bit uh, anarchic. So your fireflies, that could exist in this kind of thing. Blade Runner, that could exist in this kind of world. AI, artificial intelligence, the movie kind of thing could exist in this kind of world. I think a really hard question for the Game Master to answer in running a seriously early campaign or any historical campaign in this universe is what time the various magical technologies really come online. And there's a few cases where we actually know this, like ASR's levitation is not until like 300. We know that. A lot of the high light speed travel stuff isn't until like 250 or so. There really isn't a grid showing where we are in technological development unless you like really read between the lines. Let's see, year 100... Ledger is not quite around yet if, if it's in the years leading up. As you said, there's not a lot of money flowing. Not a lot of money flowing, not a lot of research done. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's written to the lore somewhere. So that kind of raises the question of what types of campaigns you can do. And I actually want to hold off on that one for a bit. But um, there is some unique uh, opportunity in this period, early, early vector history. It's a period with a lot of kind of hope and opportunity out there. I feel in many ways like there's not a lot of forward potential in 700 because the megacorps kind of have everything locked down. If you get an invention going, they're just going to buy it and destroy it or use it for toilet or something like that. 
there's opportunity in like corporate growth and opportunity in terms of exploring the planet. There's vast tracts of land that haven't explored and colonized to the gills yet. A lot of places to go. Wilderness explorer. Yeah, exploration. It is. Journey uh, to the West. We can recreate. What is that wonderful old game where you're in a carriage? Uh, where diphtheria strikes everybody? Yes. Dysentery. That's the, that's the one. Uh, well, there was that year 100 plague. Yeah. Um, uh, what was that game? Oklahoma. Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail. Right. Uh, and uh, this is a period where there's actually a strong sense of us versus them that you don't really get throughout the entire, unless you're playing progenitors versus TDI, there's not a lot of strong kind of binary pairs, but now you actually have the cultural war between humanity and the vectors kind of coming to a head. And that's going to be a period where there is strong tension lines between large groups. And that doesn't really crop up much later in the canon, unless you count whispers and um, pale men as them. Uh, that's kind of the general baddies. I don't know if that's as much of an us versus them as a... Oh, God, them. Oh, yeah. yeah. The boogeymen. And you can play this in a number of different ways. I mean, not all humans are bad. You're going to have some people that might have even, that might have taken lovers from that race and kind of pulled apart Civil War style. You could totally play Gone with the Wind scenarios and that sort of thing. A lot of historical parallels. So at this point, I had a bad habit of boring my host to tears with long lists. So, so I'm going to sketch out some ideas for... I'm not going to call it an alternative history, but a theoretical history that links up some of the various canon ideas, bridges them, and creates a picture of the world leading up to your year 100 campaign. And then you can take that in a number of different directions. Uh, so, Manimi, play the file marked Long Historical Ramble 2.0. Thank you. Call this an auxiliary history of events. It's not an alternative history or a parallel timeline but an attempt to link canon events to build a believable and playable chronological roadmap to Seoul, year 100. Bridges are built, dots are connected, events are inferred, but nothing is completely made up. We'll begin in the beginning. AE-15. As Marsco declares Vector's citizens, it builds a template for their future. Sentry, the central trinity system, is built. A great regulating clock to measure Vector technological and social progress. Is Sentry a benevolent gift or the work of a tyrant race? It's hard to say. AE minus three to four or thereabouts. Humanity's miniature dark age. The destruction of Terra is a racial tragedy, and during the bombing and for a few years after, progress slows and the pink overlords fall into a long slump that lasts much of a decade. Generation one vectors, now in their early twenties, serve as interns and low-level staffers in Marsco labs. In this dark period, vectors gain new access to human research and technology as they take over much of the maintenance of society for a time. At first, this is an act of compassion for their grieving parent race, but it shows that the young vectors can stand on their own. AE 5-25, Project Sink or Swim. The third and final generation of vectors is developed. Using the new raccoon order as a tool, human scientists attempt to engineer away lateralism. The owl line is corrupted by experiments with transcendence, although this isn't immediately blamed on experimentation, or was it necessarily the fault of human researchers. Seeds are planted for human vector mistrust. Race relations are clouded with a lingering grudge and a sense that humans and vectors are not on the same team anymore. AE20, speculative. The research group that would become ASR deciphers the sentry system and the map laid out for them. They are not amused. Several years spent building backdoors in the program and building a path to corporate independence. AE30, ASR's IPO. Applied Science and Robotics moves out of Big M's basement as a fledgling corporation. 
AE37, Marsco and ASR established the credit as a currency standard for Seoul. Now that money exists, it can start to flow. AE40, speculative. ASR strikes, seriously compromising Sentry and its associated systems. In the IT chaos, Genotype escapes as an organization, pulling its own records and smashing and grabbing as much of the medical technology of Marsco as possible. Pulse remains a part of Big M for now. AE40. Sentry goes offline for several years, leaving Marsco without a governing AI. This is really kind of the central moment in this entire pseudo-history. AE40-80. Speculative. For several decades, Marsco hobbled forward, the big three spin-offs dragging the mostly blind corporation in different directions and using its resources to fund various projects. After the cogs are created and Pulse ASR fall into endless squabbling, Marsco is gradually brought online as an infrastructure manufacturing group. AE60. Pulse's media wing expands, dominating the air with vector sports programming. Over the next 40 years, young and beautiful vectors are hyped, and a culture that rejects the past and embraces the future develops, and it never really fades. AE65. Speculative. Genotype begins to focus on its identity as a single-family corp, first on preserving the rat brand and then building the mouse race. They lose focus of the general medical side of their mission. AE70. ASR releases the cogs into the wild. Humans protest the new race. Vectors welcome them as friends and allies. AE70-105-ish. The 100-year recession. Without a secure base, the credit falters. Finance becomes a complex shell game as ASR and Marsco juggle resources and try to find a workable system. Only the four megacorps have any real resources, and they're starving. Non-essential research grinds to a halt. AE80, speculative. Marsco cities are hit hard. Without a guiding AI to manage the resources, the sprawling corp towns begin to decay. What public services still exist are patchy. Riots break out over food, water, medicine, jobs, and daytime TV. And the cores of Marsco's internal police force and the Moral Imperatives Division both find their missions, often on the opposite sides of a barricade. In desperation, Big M bites the poisoned apple. ASR repairs Marsco's AI, or fatally compromises it, one or the other. To this day, ASR and Marsco are controlled by the same AI. As a part of the terms of Marsco's bailout, 80 years of back pay in the form of stock options and proportional seats on Marsco's boards are given to Vector employees. And somehow, after that, the Megacorp continues to shift towards Vector control. ASR is very good with numbers. AE-105. The ledger is developed. It strongly benefits younger vectors who have more lifespan to build their security nets. Some more speculation. Over the next few years, the hidden ledger algorithms turn humans into financial exiles. Social pressure and economic necessity lead to waves of hemivector conversions, subsidized by Pulse's limitless options campaigns. AE-110. Speculative? Credits in the ledger opened up funding for research, construction, expansion, and exploration. Talented or adventurous vectors move to where the money is and the potential is, pulling ledger activity away from Marsco's inner cities and older towns. This only strengthens the message that the past is dead and the future belongs to the young and to vectors. After this, there's a number of canon events that could happen in no particular order, all of them in the early part of the hundreds. And what order they occur in, or if they occur, can really add some shape to your year 100 campaign. The Plague Years. Early in the 100s, medical research loses the arms race against viral mutation. Pandemics rage for 10 years. No one is safe, but Marsco's massive housing blocks and old underfunded cities are hit hardest. Whether this is a natural tragedy or a biological weapon is a game master call. Pulse invests in blood sports. Life is cheap and violence sells. Between 110 and 120, Pulse crosses a moral Rubicon and begins promoting gladiatorial sports. 
This is a great pressure valve for a frustrated society and is almost certainly sold as a way to give surgical enhancements and social opportunity to poor vectors looking to escape a hundred years of poverty and stagnation. Eyes on Terra. For the last 20 years or so, strange broadcasts from Terra hint at life on the blasted planet. In the early 100s, signs of life show plants and animals and such. In 50 years, Luna Base will be established, and there's almost certainly early exploration and salvage, particularly by the first incarnations of TTI and Stellarum. Project Mouse. There is no clear date for the beginning of Genotype's early experiments in race creation. It seems likely the project is fully funded. It seems likely the project is fully launched by 150 or 160, and Genotype may have been unpacking their test tubes in the early part of the century once they were away from the eyes of the other corporations. Phobos Base. Genotype and ASR combine efforts to build a genetic and technological archive on Phobos. Over the next 100 years, it becomes a thriving port, and in modern Seoul, the archive is lost to the past. Go south, young dog. Funds from the ledger boom allow exploration of regions of Mars that haven't been completely explored yet. Strange life forms are rumored to live in the tunnels created by the terraforming process. Minor wars likely break out over choice property. The very, very rich lock down Ballas Marineris and organize expeditions to map the labyrinth Noctis. Really, I think when you talk about a year 100 campaign, you're talking about kind of a nebulous period of time, um, like a, like the Roaring Twenties covers like 1915 onwards to 1928 or so. And I think this period is kind of kicked off by the advent of the ledger and all of the things it unlocks. So that's kind of my marker for when the change from the Great Great Depression that comes before then to this new period turns and the world kind of lights up again for vectors. Mm -hmm. So with the invention of the ledger, that's actually a really interesting point, considering uh, you say somewhere around after Earth year 40, the century goes offline. And then the ledger, considering it comes out 70-something years later, it could have actually been a product of Mars Co. that someone was trying to develop as kind of a, hey, we don't have a currency and I have a really good idea. And then they developed it and it took 70 years to bug test. Yeah, because we had the credit somewhere in the first half of the, the aughts century. I'm not sure exactly when, but around 30, 40, or 50 or so. And that is it. the credit is... It's the beginning. It's the beginning. And then the ledger is kind of the next stage of the credit. And yeah. it I, would take 70 years to bug test something that no one really knows how to run and doesn't need any maintenance. Like, and I, I think only Marsco could have released it properly because Marsco has a lot of trust. Yeah. People trust Marsco. Well, they do now. At the time, it's hard to say, but I feel like Marsco still has the Mother Mars reputation, and, probably among the common common folk at least. And even in a period of economic recession, Marsco is still kind of in the too big to fail. They just have more resources to pull on, even if that is being stretched thin. Right. So they would have the resources to pull put 70 years into development of something that would effectively fix their issue. Now, one thing we know about Marsco is that in canon, there have been times where Marsco has quit, where it's closed, where there is no Marsco for a period. Yeah. It has, it has gone under, but we don't know when those are. So it's kind of, this is this period I'm kind of speculating on is a period where Marsco was probably undermined and collapsed for a time. So the ledger would help them get back on their feet, would establish them as a good company to kind of build the structure of the world on. Yes, and like without a guiding hand of century, then these projects can take off and take off quickly. Yeah, I think that around this period, particularly when the ledger 
becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of money just flows into and from vectors into vector-owned corporations. Oh, there could be trial runs and betas that are in unwritten history and this where like, hey, this corp town, we are trying something new and suddenly there's a huge boom in this corp town that no one really knows why, where suddenly the credit here just becomes hugely valuable. And then there's a huge period of economic growth in a single corp town where they're experimenting with the ledger system before it becomes widespread. Yeah. Yeah. Like gold rush type. Basically. That's a kind of interesting idea. Yeah. I I, I mean, one imagines a leather, leather, the ledger just kind of being a switch that gets thrown. But um, I don't think it would be uh, because coming, coming from the background of a software engineer, the ledger is a huge, complicated, untouchable piece of work, mm-hmm. if you really want to call it anything. That had to become that at some point in time. And there is no software ever that will ever be developed that is going to start at that stage with just the flip of a switch. It can't happen. We can't think of everything. And the ledger is too big to think of everything that could happen. Yeah, I think it's telling that in 1.0, ASR was the one company that had finance as, an, as a native skill. It was not ever abused, I promise. <laughs> Never. <laughs> so I think part of the early hundreds game, I think, is that the kind of the glittering 20s type idea, this period of plenty and prosperous that kind of blossoms out. I, th- I feel like this period is going to have a lot of um, like strong youth culture, really a beautiful age because Pulse has been broadcasting this message of like vector diversity for a long time. And I think that there's probably a strong cultural push towards uh, new is better, old is dead, particularly as a way of drawing even more cultural strength away from humanity and the works they've created and looking purely towards the future and towards vector ascension. Yeah, this will be the time where in a depression, people are going to be kind of doing their own thing more. So leading that front as a, hey, develop your culture because that's the right thing to do. That's going to start pushing towards a lot of these kind of ideas. And this this really would be a point where people are figuring out how the culture will work moving forward. And we don't really know how the ledger came online right at the beginning. Mm. But the longer your ledger operates, presumably the more socially secure you'll be. I, I guess I don't really know that because it kind of seems like a break-even cycle. It's possible that the only people that had any real future were kids yeah. right at the beginning. We Again, things we don't know, but that might be a reasonable interpretation. Because if you're younger and you are given a ledger suddenly, then you it's it's kind of like life insurance in a way, where the younger you are, the more benefits you get if you start it early. Yeah, but you don't care. More like yeah. a car. <laughs> yeah. But then, then again, it could also be like life insurance. You said if you, there might have been people who didn't adopt it initially, thinking it was just going to be a passing fad. And well, that would have gone badly for them. That would have gone very badly. I really think like all of humanity was probably left out of the left out of the ledger system entirely as one more way of just really exiling them. Most likely, I, if I had to guess, it could have been because like we don't, I don't don't know if it was mentioned how the ledger kind of is truly tied to a person. It could have been something vector specific. And it's not tied to their like physical form or bodies. It's, it's, I think it's like a social security number. You could probably have one. Like if you're born in a grotto, you may or may not have a ledger. Blips usually have a ledger, but bioprobes don't. There, there are ways to not have one. And you can even have your ledger taken from you or sell it to somebody. Yeah, you can sell it. This raises the point. Can you meet a bioprobe on a dating site? We'll check for affinity. (laughs) Some people do like probes, so. (laughs) 
another kind of direction I think you could take your your 100 game is uh, kind of a post-apocalypse style. IRPF doesn't truly exist yet, but Mars Co. does have their own thing. So you could find kind of uh, vectors running around doing their own shipping companies and get something a bit like Firefly running. What, sure. do, you, what do you mean by Firefly in this uh, The Firefly, the small group of people running basically cargo between oh, planets and... A party. A party. <laughs> Yes, uh, like big. like the Firefly TV series, like if they okay. are the Firefly crew, okay, they have their ship, it is their ship, and they need to protect it with their life. Or Futurama. Yeah, you could do that too. Yeah, perfect. I think if you looked at the world of Ready Player One, you might kind of get a sense for what this period might look like. I mean, there's cyberpunky, like tall structure buildings and things like that, but I think there's going to be a lot of need and want right now. Uh, Ready Player One, and then... AI, artificial intelligence, huge cities that are vaguely run down, very cyberpunk, where we didn't quite have the resources to repair it properly, so we cobble it together, and now we put lights on it to make sure it looks all right. Right. Is, is this still on Earth, or is this all on Mars? But oh, this is all Mars. Earth is like 100 years gone right now. Okay. Yeah. Has Mars had time to have cities run into ruin by this point? Well, so, okay, so first off, creating a city initially is fairly easy to do because of the... Uh, Geomats? Yeah, geomats, uh-huh. which can be used to print cities okay. effectively. And Marsco, above and beyond most things, is a manufacturing concern. That's its start. So there is some city infrastructure. They might not be as tall as they are in 700, uh-huh. but there's, there's, there's things have been built up. We okay. don't know how much or to what degree. That's a kind of an unknown. But while there might have been some early surges in construction, the money situation is bad towards the second half of the century. The credit doesn't really have any backing. There isn't money for serious development. The ledger is the social security system of Seoul. Uh, without that, we don't know what people will have, but there's not a need for jobs in manufacturing. There's not a lot of unskilled labor wandering around. So the poor are probably going to stay fairly poor. And then tack onto that, the medical system is kind of failing towards the end of the century. Context. So has Mars been terraformed by this point? Mars was terraformed around 30. Okay. So it's not a matter of people huddling in tiny little pressurized things. No, no, not at all. It's okay. A, it's a world. It's a world that's definitely got flora out the ear. So the world itself is is safe and explorable. But there's not a lot of money in the cities and there's a lot of kind of infrastructure problems in the cities as well that we can kind of guess at. So uh, there it might be situations like we have cities like uh, Milwaukee where there's huge chunks of it that are brilliant and then there's a few chunks that are a little bit less than brilliant. Uh-huh. Or we might have uh, Austin right next door to Detroit. Or people looking, I mean, g- given that you can now go anywhere in Mars without a lot of money for life support, uh, looking for mineral deposits, uh, looking for claims, mining Prospecting, that's the word, prospecting. Well, there's another kind of system that might create some real problems in the older cities. Uh, Marsco is the Hufflepuff of this world. I mean, it's it's there, it's enduring, but it's not very interesting. But earlier in the century, around 30 or so, but getting bigger and bigger, there's going to be a big brain drain because if you're into science, genetic wizardry, a lot of the kind of the, the big develop, the like exciting new fields of tech and, and, and whatever, uh-huh. uh, you're not necessarily going to stay in a Marsco town, particularly when the ledger comes online and people can kind of get to the point where they see that building a city is the path to cultural or corporate uh, stability. 
there's going to be a pull of a lot of highly skilled labor out of Marsco, out of the generic lands, into more specialized corp towns. It's a period of plenty, and that plenty is not necessarily contained in Marsco's old settlements. So that's another place where money and talent and ledger credits are pulled out. Remember, the ledger creates a local economy wherever you are. But maybe if you're not working early on, we don't know exactly how it works. Uh-huh. But if we haven't gotten to the point where the social security net is really stable yet, that money is, may follow people out of town and create, again, kind of more like money money deserts. It's mm-hmm. actually kind of interesting. If uh, the ledger hasn't been created and the credit isn't yet trusted or was trusted, but now is in a low point, people might be creating their own kind of localized currencies within towns where it's, we think this is more valuable than the credit at the moment. I'm going to trade in this instead. And that would be something that a budding police division might want to crush. <laughs> might, yes. An interesting little game for you is to uh, to get rid of local economies by replacing them with a bigger, better system. <laughs> uh, would, would autonomous towns be a thing where, yes, this was a corp town, but now we are breaking away from the corp because a Marsco corp town where Marsco's gone dormant is, is that still a Marsco corp town? I think absolutely this is going to be a time, maybe a little later, like towards like 120 or so, which is still kind of in this bubble of mm-hmm. year 100, I'm imagining. I think it's likely that your mid-sized corporation is going to be trying to form its own corp town at some point in time because that is where money and stability are. And the concept of megacorp as like all domineering entity is not necessarily a thing. Yeah. When the ledger lights up, I feel like a lot of corporations that have a lot of vector employees are going to have a lot of financial churn all of a sudden. Well, I think we can also kind of move on to year 100 as being an age of exploration which is, I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, we know there are monsters on Mars in the tunnels, and this is where they might have started emerging for the first time. We don't know what they are, but they exist. They're there, or at least they're rumored to be there. Oh, the tunnels would be a lot of fun to play with. I forgot about the tunnels. A lot of people might have. Uh, so for our listeners at home, when the terraforming process swept over Mars, forests were raised, forests were burned down, things were geology was really churned it's just possible that they had to reactivate mars's molten core to make this work so there might have been volcanic eruptions on olympus mons for instance most likely which is actually a large raised lava plain anyway yeah entire the entire area of like what's probably the core cultural mecca of mars is a giant plateau is that the word any way a raised a raised lava dome so yeah no telling what's what could have happened there but uh Olympus Bonds is not that recently inactive in terms of geological timetables. Yeah. Um, so, but tunnels were created under the ground. Um, the Valles Marineris trenches probably collapsed in some places, creating more chasms and things like that. Marsco's got a lot of deep craters. And the northern hemisphere of the planet is much lower than the southern hemisphere of the planet. So that entire area is likely covered in water now. It's a, a very unequally elevated planet and if they had to get geomass from one place to another they straight line is the fastest way to do that and the best way to go in a straight line is underground true so that would be yeah and they can digest any number of things as well so they can go anywhere anyway in canon there are uh, underground complexes that can be good dungeons to explore would this mean at this point in time we'd have underground gang wars of people racing vehicles through underground tunnels between cities where we have chunks of each underground, kind of like the Underdark in D&D that are controlled by gangs. I think that'll make great television. <laughs> and we'll need that. 
So there's that. There's also simple expansion because uh, with a surge of money and a surge of up until now, there probably hasn't been the resources to really explore and colonize Mars properly. Plus, they haven't really needed to. There's not that much of a population yet. Even now, there's just under a billion. But this might be a time when people go out to establish new kingdoms and uh, spread across the planet. It's a smaller planet than Terra. by a, It's about a third the size of Earth, I think. And, of course, half of it is probably an ocean. This brings back the Oregon Trail comparison of the westward expansion. Yes. Whichever direction west is on Mars. <laughs> Well, a lot of it's cold, too. I don't know what the climate is like on Mars, necessarily. Well, they're vectors. Most of them are covered in fur. Yeah, true. Another element of exploration in this period, and I feel like this is a little bit of a stretch, but around about 90 or so, we start getting strange broadcasts from Earth. Old episodes of I Love Lucy, for instance, or requests for help, or just static, or uh, your local NPR radio station playing classical jazz for 18 hours a day, which they would do anyway. Maybe less broadcasting, maybe just more noise. But around the turn of the century, people start to see evidence of life on Terra. This might... Do you remember the atomic age on Earth, the space exploration vibe that per perked up there where uh -huh. space was all the rage and sure. astronaut helmets were available for your local cereal box top conversion? So there could be a very exciting... Well, I don't know if there would be a Terra nostalgia vibe here or not because we're still kind of fighting a culture war with humans at this point. But Well, for the humans, there might be. Oh, yeah, yeah. They might see this gem in the sky and say, oh, thank God. And the vectors could be like, yeah, you should go back there. Let us know what it's like. Yeah, we get there eventually. It's not good, as it turns out. Um, but there may also be a good period of going back to loot Terra and get some of that technology back. Is this before uh, it was cordoned off? Well, there are phases to quarantining Earth. So that takes us to what I think probably marks the end of the glittering 20s, aughts, whatever, is um, the beginning of the Silent War, which is the pogrom against humanity brought into, like, formal operation. I think that's around, like, 25 to 35 or so thereabouts. Um, hard to say exactly when, well, we know exactly when it begins, when a human plants a sleeper agent in a university who goes and kills a lot of people, I think is how it goes. But I don't know what year that is. Anyway, that's probably the end of it. But that marks the beginning of a war against humanity. This is when the protocols of the master's voice were probably put into full effect and used to activate people. It's the period that is most covered by vectors, most obscured by vector uh, historians now. Anyway, that's probably the likely end of things. So the first quarantine of Earth would have been in about 60, 70. 5 AE thereabouts. Humanity was blasted off to Luna. The quote last human family, which is about four or 500 people, the remnants of the human race were sent to, let's not call it a concentration camp. Let's call it a colony on the moon. No, on Terra with Luna base operating as their overseeing masters. Maybe I'm making this a little darker than it actually was in the stories. We don't know, but shortly thereafter they were wiped out by the wildlife on Terra. And then there was some loose quarantining. It was whispers. It yeah. wasn't Whispers. It wasn't Whispers? It was, it was Pale Man. Oh, I thought it was Whispers. No, Whispers. Oh, that was the moon base. Yeah, that was the moon base. Whispers are like 400 years later, 300 okay. years later, so they're much more recent. So, so their last defender, codenamed Robotron 2084, was not able to save them? I have made that comparison myself okay. a few times, because last Darn human it. family, faraway planet. But yeah, there was an early quarantine of Earth around about 70 or so, when it looked like there was some really seriously dangerous wildlife there people stopped building bases on Earth around then for a time. Yeah. 
the later quarantine of Earth was around 500 when whispers became a serious menace and the planet turned red. Hmm. I think that was, that's going to be our year 500 episode. Oh, okay. There's a megacorp that's rising during this period. I don't know when they really fledged, probably around 150, but uh, Stellarum is building itself up right about now. This is the company that specializes in shipbuilding and transportation. And they are one of the main manufacturing forces on Luna Base, which starts to come into zone around 150-180. So it's possible they're starting up right now and getting some missions lined up to Mars. Uh, another group that might be active is whatever becomes TTI. Because one thing we know is that transcendent technology starts to be explored at about 30, no, negative 30 AE. Um, the first inklings of transcendent technology were before Earth was destroyed, people were able to bounce signals off of the monolith on Europa. And yeah. that may have created Hydra. That was what my thought was, considering right. I was about to bring up Hydra, considering uh, that would still be in the memories of vectors at this point in time, where there was, hey, there was something that was beyond our current tech. Mm -hmm. Let's go explore, which would also be a fun idea for a campaign of, hey, go find tech that might be, you know, might contain remnants of Hydra. I'd like to think that Hydra is a computer program, uh, but it's not really. It's like yeah. it's like writing a demonic glyph into your code or your genetics. Um, oh, yeah. Writing a code in your genetics is what set off the owls. Yeah, uh, and the, the Hydra, I think, was incredibly interesting because its description was a lot like anything that could potentially serve as a communications device, regardless of its level of tech, was capable of housing Hydra, yeah. which meant... Uh, some of the more interesting kind of bizarre things that uh, I've read about is like the ways NSA has tried to siphon information off of secure computers of uh, using the CPU die itself as a transmitter and receiver Interesting to actually talk to things meant that literally nothing was safe from Hydra. So as I was saying, if something was turned off suddenly and there was still Hydra code running on it, maybe it... It's that comes into the 40k esque thing of go find the big universal machine to go make new ancient tech. Oh, Hydra and the other and Apophysis or whatever it's called tends to run off of uh, the occult laws of similarity and contagion more than any actual science. Yep. So when 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 one owl was corrupted, all oh. owls were corrupted. Yeah. Uh, let's see other directions you can take your campaign um, in on the ground floor. We just kind of talked about this. There are a number of new corporations that are sprouting up right now. For one thing, the big three are not, big three, big four, are not necessarily the limit of what you can do because there's also proto-TTIs out there, possibly. Stellar Stellarum is being founded. Um, uh, they're beginning to spyglass, kind of. Um, they're like, officially they fledged around like 250, I think. But there could be whatever's, certainly whatever force feeds them, that sense of rebellion is mm -hmm. going to start now. Yeah. Um, the lack of corporate oversight is probably going to grow and grow, but that's going to peak around, um, I would say, the mouse collapse. That's the, f the okay. next. Well, the reason I say that is because that's the first really explosive corporate overreach, corporate scandal that we know of. That's like of the level that we should have caught it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I feel like whatever need there is for a spyglass really starts showing around about 200, which is when I put the mouse uh, that, situation. But I don't know. It, it, it doesn't occur until after two, like 250, though. But the, the, the seeds are there. Yeah. Um, the um, Human Rights Division, which is not what it's called. 
But I think that Spyglass is the next major corporation to sprout after these. Oh, back to Age of Exploration. This is a big one, which I uh, I might have missed in my previous blip, is there's not a lot of places to go to in this world, except that there is a base opening on um, Phobos. This is a genetic archive and technological archive in particular, so it's a joint ASR genotype project. This also becomes a shipyard and later on, like by 300 or so, is a thriving port, spaceport. So this is a place that's starting to grow and expand and is also likely an area where Stellarum Mars is starting to sink its paws into. I also have speculated there's probably a lovely thriving suburb on Deimos, but this is just me. There's at least three people there at the moment. <laughs> so that's another place where you can kind of escape this orbit and go to a new a new world. A very small world with a very low escape velocity. There's also there's the, the feline corporations that may, that first kind of created the first race war and maybe were the same group that overthrew, that helped overthrow uh, genotype later in its plot arc. We didn't know about them, except that they were probably torn apart by lovers spat, possibly. They're felines. Yeah, it was some sort of spat. There's a lot of, of spatting. So it's uh, spatting, hissing, and general puffery. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, <laughs> this is the time for some like major friction between species at this point. Uh, we've got the creation of the cogs, which is a new and awkward style of living, and some very gentle first contact could happen there. Humanity is on its way out, but you still may have like kin there. If you have a hemivector in your family tree, you actually could directly be related to humans. Yeah, this is actually if cogs are becoming new, not all the push frame or not all of the cog body types have been developed yet, or there might be new experimental ones that people are playing with. Well, and the skin jobs were a thing right about now as well. This is briefly, true. Hmm. And the all up to all apparent, well, everyone says they've kind of gone away, but that's there's still a lingering rumor there's still a thing. So those horrible parodies of vectorness might have happened. Also, there was the. You know, I'm not sure if this actually happened or if it's just a rumor or not, but there's a rumor of a lot of forced conversions to hemivector. Hmm. Rumors could or could not be true. We never know. Well, in the lore, they say that the precipitous drop-off of the human population cannot really be explained just through die-off. There's other stuff going on there as well. And then vectors themselves could be almost anything at this point, too, because uh, Pulse's Project Infinite of vectors being everything they possibly could be your own neighbors your own cousins might be becoming increasingly alien to you this is before the invention of vita yeah vita is i think vita. a long way in the future okay. it's like gonna be around progenitus's birth so probably around 300 so not yet anything but anything that surgery can do pulse will be doing right genetic augmentation is going to be their strong suit for a while yeah um, and then after Vita, 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 Vitae? I don't know. Vitae? Vitae, I think. Well, the A is I, but eh. How are you pronounce it? That is going to, if that was around now, Pulse would be off the wall. Considering that effectively just kept people alive regardless of what was going on. But that's, I guess, a later discussion if we're talking about it through the years. <laughs> well, that, I mean, Vitae's high point was when it tore apart any relation, any possible relations between TTI and Progenitus down the road. Yeah. That is down the road. Oh, uh, one of the things that you mentioned coming up, uh, coming later up, is Pulse invests in blood sports sometimes oh, around a year sports. 112. Yeah. And a thought I had is that would not have come out of 
nowhere. There was an inciting incident. There was something coming through the pipes in culture that would let vectors even consider the possibility of blood sports. Considering historically, if we're talking at a human time frame, blood sports have been used to settle wars as blood has to be spilled at some point in time. We might as well do it in a controlled fashion rather than an uncontrolled all out. Let's kill each other. Well, it's hard to imagine a cultural force that's big enough to create a strong us versus them for pulse. This is true. However, you were saying that there are the, the cat specific corporations that were coming out that was causing interspecies tension. Hmm. It might not have been a very large inciting incident, but it could have been something that like, oh yeah, I guess this might be something interesting to look at, or it might take the edge off me really wanting to punch my coworker in the face because they are of a different species and kind of rubbing it in my face. Well, Pulse has really been a proponent of sports in general for most of its organizational history. And around about 40, 50 or so, they're really starting to push uh, any sort of vector sporting as being a way of showing off the full range of vectordom. So like battling to the death or near death or splattering blood everywhere seems to start around 110 or so. And I forget where I found that somewhere in the new pulse right up in 2.0. But what triggers that? I don't know. I feel like a big part of it is just simply life is going to be very cheap right about now. It could also just be that where it's just hey, if we can prove there are no consequences, maybe people will start, will start to push themselves slightly harder. Blood sports are a life is easy. You, we can heal you quickly. Regardless of what happens, you are safe. Well, in a Mad Max movie, though, blood sports are the way to make sure that your family has some food, even if it costs you your life. I mean, we don't know how scarce resources are. Uh, it, that's really an open question for the game master. All, all we know is that at some point in time, right about here, Pulse goes insane. Er. <laughs> More insane, yeah. But yeah, I don't know how they got to that road, but it became socially acceptable around about now. And I don't know, maybe they, maybe they had some humans they wanted to throw into a pit or something like that. I wouldn't put it past them. That'd be kind of, it be like 70 and kind of sad. Even um, though they were treated well in Rome, gladiators were still slaves. <laughs> I, I think also the plague is going to be an important part of this this period. It kind of defines it in some ways. And I feel like it was about 110 to 120 or so, but there's about a decade where research had not been keeping up with biology and genotype probably got distracted by making sure that rats didn't fall apart as a species. And they just kind of lost their focus. Probably when they became a single species corporation, they stopped, stopped working on medical technology in a meaningful way. So that there was a period of about 10 years where disease just went rampant for a time. People were dying and who knows how bad it was. These are sci-fi diseases after all. For all we know, there could have been a small corporation that was specifically trying to engineer them. I guess we can't rule that out. Particularly yeah. if you have a species war on your hands, the humans might have done that. The humans might have. It's, it's, I mean, what is more powerful than being able to genetically engineer a disease that specifically targets vectors? Right. And they had certainly had the technology to do that if they didn't even build back doors into vector biology to allow it, which seems that seems like it would be a, a very strained interpretation of canon at that point. But you know, you can't rule it out. Well, I hope this has given you some ideas for how to direct your own historical campaign. And if you've gotten your copy of 2.0, you'll see the book is well framed for this sort of thing with breaks every century to show how, how each world is developing along parallel timelines. Uh, I hope we can do year 200, maybe for episode 75 or so, which is not that far away. And keep in mind the important job that hyenas are doing, bringing social solidarity and annoying behavior to the feline species.
there comes a time in each man's life when he can't even believe his own eyes. Well, after your description, I don't think I'd want to see it either. So I think that brings us around to what's awesome this week. Uh, I don't know if anybody brought news clips. I have things I can't talk about. (laughs) (laughs) That's not helpful. So one piece that made the science news recently is that the InSight craft on Mars detected a Mars quake. So this implies that Mars is not entirely tectonically tectonically dead, yes. It's most likely kind of just cooling contractions and things like that. But it is interesting that there is still movement under the surface of Mars. And we we can't rule out the possibility of the existence of sick beats. Sure. <laughs> but there's been the fun things that are currently happening with AI detection of content is throwing people into very interesting political debates of, uh, I think this was YouTube specifically, uh, where they were marking the burning of Notre, Notre Dame as potentially false information about 9-11. Sure. <laughs> why not? Sure, why not? I didn't even get into the idea of an AI versus AI battle as like the birth of the AI hunting group within ASR as being like a thing that might happen around this century. We are currently using AI to find AI on Twitter. So madness. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not related to Elon Musk directly, but it's related to Tesla kind of UPS is now using Toyota or is planning to use Toyota's hydrogen based trucks to ship all their goods around pretty soon. Cool. So not, yeah, there's a few, there's a few jumps there, but okay. that's well. an interesting one. We're currently <laughs> moving into an age of potentially uh, hydrogen fuel cells for most of our shipping needs. Yeah, hi- hydrogen is pretty cool stuff. It's booming, if you say. But I'm pumped. Okay, let's, <laughs> on that note, let's please bring this episode to a grinding halt. Uh, thank you all for joining us, and we will catch up with you soon to talk about Pulse Root. and catchy outro line. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Tronicles, both by Serious Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.